and welcome to Horrible Friends. It's a podcast about horror movies, kind of in a book club fashion. Starting off, my name is Kyle. My name is Mike. I'm Dan. And I'm Jarvis. And unfortunately, Chris could not make it this week, but, uh, you know, we, we truck along. We, we keep moving. Uh, this week, we are going to be watching, or we already did watch, rather, uh, Scream from 1996. So, uh, starting off, I'm just going to send it on over to Dan, and he's going to talk to us about the, the history behind this thing. All right. So, Scream came out in 1996, as Kyle just said. Uh, it was directed by the late, great Wes Craven, who we know, of course, did movies such as Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, The Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, Red Eye. list goes on for Wes Craven. Our budget for this movie was uh, $15 million at the time, which equates about to approximately $25 million to today. And it banked in the box office, making $173 million. I mean... But we didn't need to say that, right? It it spins off into multiple sequels. It has a TV show based off of it. So um, there have been like copycat killers in real life based on this. So this the movie is just like huge. Um, just some fun facts about it. The movie was filmed in Santa Rosa and Tamales, California. I'm probably saying the name of that town wrong. I'm sorry. Um, uh in 1996, other movies that we have are movies such as Hellraiser Bloodline, From Dusk Till Dawn, if you want to consider that horror, uh, The Dentist, Uncle Sam, and then mm. the next two are, are great. I mean, Uncle Sam's great, too, but Leprechauns in Space <laughs> and, yes. and Tremors, too. Mark. Tremors. Oh. 96, a fine year. So this this, mo- this movie's running about 111 minutes, not super super long movie, and um, yeah, I have a couple other fun little facts here, but we can get into that as we get into the movie. Uh, do you guys want to like talk about any of the stuff? Yeah, I just want to start off by saying that this movie was kind of a return to form from Wes Craven, because as much as his like filmography does have like iconic movies in it, like The Hills Have Eyes and The West House and The Left. He did have kind of like a downturn because he did a bunch of the Nightmare on Elm Street. The original was great. You have a couple of good sequels mixed in there, but the later ones were not very good. But this movie was like it brought him back to his status as uh, icon in the genre. For sure. Um, I also think it's I, I, I think it's interesting, the whole bit about Drew Barrymore. Um which again, we're going to talk about this, but if you guys had anything to say about this, um, I didn't know that she actually insisted that she was going to play Casey Becker in this movie. And she was, I think she was offered the lead, but she did not want it. She was adamant about her character dying. Spoiler in the beginning, in the first scene. Yeah. She, she said that it actually like takes the comfort away from the viewers because in before this classically, the first person we watched like trudge through the whole movie. Um, so I, I, that she was like a major star and to have like a major star killed off in the first 10 minutes, it kind of says, okay, now anybody is potentially a fair victim. game. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah. And it, it, I imagine it probably pulled in a bunch of, uh, a bunch of tabloids and 
news and stuff like that just be like this movie killed drew barrymore <laughs> also real quick um Real quick to a callback when we did Gerald's game uh, and Chris Farrell ruined it for everyone by telling us that the dad in Gerald's game was the one of the kids in E.T. Um, Drew Barrymore was also in E.T. She was the little girl. And now we know what her guts look like. So that's for you, Chris. Hope you're listening. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to pass it over to Mike to go through the plot this week. Mike, what you got? Okay, so the movie opens with a telephone ringing and a girl answers. She looks to be about a teenage girl, and it is Drew Barrymore. There's a light back and forth about, it's a man's voice, and there's a light back and forth between the two of them about having the wrong number, so she hangs up. Phone rings again, and it's the same man, and she hangs up on him again. And then we get a quick shot of a swing outside, and Drew Barrymore starts making popcorn on the stove. Phone rings again, and it's just... Same voice on the phone again, and she tells him she's about to watch a movie. And this is where we get like one of the most iconic lines from this movie: "Is the man says, do you like scary movies?" This, yes. But th- this scene it it just makes me think of like today. <laughs> like if someone kept calling today, no one would answer the phone, right? Yeah. We don't just get, it's phone. a robo call. <laughs> I never yeah, answer my no. phone. Yeah, let but, alone have a house phone. I don't have a house phone. Agreed. Yeah, it, it was weird. Like she knocked him off a couple times, which is fine. But it's just what was up with her character development where they decided that, you know what? This time around, she's going to be playful about it. Like it, it was yeah. it was odd. It was the 90s. <laughs> and that's going to be my go to line whenever there's something that has not aged well. It was the 90s. Give There's some plenty of things in here, so get, get ready for that. And so we're going to get to that. So uh, he asks her her name, and he, and he says, so I know who I'm looking at, which is kind of sinister. And she questions him on this, and he quickly corrects himself, so I know who I'm talking to. And uh, then he tells her he wants to play a game with her. And he threatens that he wants to see what her insides look like. As you mentioned before, we saw what Drew Barrymore's insides look like. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> and so he tells her to turn on the patio lights. And out there, she sees her boyfriend, Steve, who she was expecting, taped to a chair outside. They play the game on the phone where he asks her horror trivia questions. The first question is the killer in Halloween, which is Michael Myers. And by the way, he, he does tell her that if she gets any wrong, that Steve is going to be killed. And the kill on Friday the 13th, which she says is Jason. But if you've seen the original Friday the 13th, you know that she's wrong. And uh, the original killer in the first Jason movie was uh, Jason's mother. And with that, Steve is killed. Pom <laughs> This whole scene is so tense. Like, yeah. even after all this time, and I knew what was going to happen, but it's just so tense. Yeah, this this could have been the ending to another movie. Uh, Which, it's funny you mention that because nope. this is a very remnant. And this is, a, I would say, right off the bat, this is a very meta movie. And uh, it makes many, many references to other horror movies. And this would be one of the first ones because this is basically one of the, the major p- through plot line of uh, when a stranger calls. It's a girl alone in the house. She gets a strange phone call 
and it's somebody who's threatening and menacing to them. Yeah, look at that. And there's going to be a lot of those, like some subtle references, some just like hit you over the head with the direct references. Gotcha. So back to the two of them on the phone. She's, he says he's going to kill her unless she gets this last question right. The last question he asks her is, what door am I at? And with that, a chair comes crashing through the window. You see Creasy grab a knife, and she starts to creep outside. We then see the killer. Now he's in the house. He's got a hooded cloak with the iconic ghost face mask. We see a car coming down the road and into the driveway. And he chased the ghost face chases Casey outside as she runs towards the car. Uh, she's stabbed in the chest and he starts to choke her on the ground. Her parents approach the house, but she's too weak to get their attention. She is then killed as her parents pick up the phone on the other phone receiver. Casey still has the phone with her and they actually hear her die over the phone. Her mom goes outside because she's going to escape to the neighbor's house to get help. And she sees Casey hanging from the tree and she's disembowelled. Dude, that whole sequence is so heartbreaking, right? Like from the moment where she cries out to her mom and like she's being drugged and her parents can hear her struggling. Like it's just heartbreaking. It like breaks my heart. No, absolutely. That was the tough scene to watch was her mother on the phone just hearing her daughter get killed. And there's nothing she could do about it because she doesn't know where her daughter is. That whole scene is so iconic from start to finish. But the one thing we missed was, I think, one of the most iconic parts about it was the stovetop popcorn. Did anyone else eat it? Eat stovetop popcorn while watching this movie? I did. No, uh, I, I did. No, it was microwave popcorn. I was never stovetop like Jiffy Pop style. Yeah, I was always microwave. Oh, I got stovetop once we found like once it was announced that we were doing this movie. I specifically got it for this movie. I, I'm gonna be a little. Uh, I don't know, uh, but I, I had just unpopped popcorn that I cooked on the stove. Does that count? I just uh, watched Children of the Corn on one screen and I watched <laughs> this on the other. <laughs> I got my curve. I can see that. I can see that. So now we cut to who was our main character, Sydney, played by Nev Campbell. She's in her room on the computer and her boyfriend scares her by entering her room through the window. It's a very 90s move. They are almost caught by Sydney's father, who comes upstairs to tell her he is going to be gone for the weekend, and she can, he can expect her back on Monday. So this is when we see a little bit of back and forth between Billy and Sydney. Billy compares their relationship to The Exorcist. He caught on TV the other night, where their relationship started off NC-17, and now it's headed for a TV movie. They begin to make out on the bed, and now he tries to run his hand up her thigh, but she stops him. As he's leaving, she jokes that if he would settle for a PG-13 relationship, and she flashes him, but we don't get to see it. Um, I know you're going to say something, so go ahead. Yeah, I, I got. I have something to say. Um, the, the, I'm not going to excuse the, the peer pressure of, like, doing things, um, but whatever they're teenagers um but his over the underwear comment was like too much i was like all right calm down there buddy um it was cringy as hell i also like the uh i'm only half serious about the sex stuff and then 
like he just like let it hang there. He's like, must you let me? Uh, you gotta <laughs> leave some kind of like. I was only kidding, unless you're okay with it. Yeah, that, that's what it was. It's it's all about the implication, right? It's oh yeah, implication. Because of the implication. Nothing's hotter than TV euphemisms, right? Like that really warmed her up. And and can we just talk about her typing her her book report on the computer before Billy comes in? Was she using like Windows ninety nine AD? Like ninety six. <laughs> There was Windows ninety eight hadn't even come out, man. You you were at at best you're at like Windows three point one. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Oh shit. It is archaic. Can we, yes. also, can we also say how gorgeous Nev Campbell is? Yeah, dude. I, I mean, maybe that's just me, but I no. I thought Nev Campbell was super was, super attractive. Yep. I was more of a oh no, she totally was. I was more of a Rose McGowan fan. Dude, so I, that's just me. I bounced I bounced between the two of them. Like I was just like, I don't know. It's so I don't know. It, it was they were both really good casting pieces for this. And I, I, I did find it again weird that we they're not like they weren't too old at this point in the movie. They when I say too old, I mean they were they were each like twenty four, twenty-three, but they were both they were playing like seventeen year olds. I guess 16 years. I don't know what they were supposed to be. It, it's just, that's weird to me still, but just me. You know how many episodes teenage me sat there of charmed? Like way too much. <laughs> it's way too much. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> okay. So the movie takes us to the school the next day where there's a bunch of news events reporting on the murder that happened to Casey and Steve the previous night. And it's now we meet Gail Weathers played by Courtney Cox. Here, Sydney's friend Tatum, who is Rose McGowan, tells her of the murders. Sydney is called to the office to be questioned by the police, just like everybody else in the school is. And this is the second time it is hinted at that there's been a tragic event in Sydney's past. Uh, also in the office is Dewey, who is Tatum's brother. He's a police officer with the Woodsboro Sheriff's Department. Next, Sydney is outside school talking about the questioning with her friends, Billy, who's her boyfriend, Stu, who is Tatum's boyfriend, Tatum, and Randy, who's pretty much just, he's not involved with anybody, but he's all their friends. Um, I i forgot that Matthew Lillard was in this, and I love Matthew Lillard. Hey, he, you don't see much of him anymore. Like, he does a lot of voice work, but you don't see him in movies that much anymore. And I, I did want to cut back when she was in the classroom and she was looking over at the chair I got because I think that already happened because I think they cut out of that and then the kids are all outside having a great time. Um, so she was she looked over and I said, what does an empty chair represent? <laughs> a lost friend, lost innocence. <laughs> and then just cut away. I felt like the creepy guy in a uh, deathbed just looking through the window. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, they're outside of the thing. <laughs> Basically just talking about the murders and the questioning and who did it, who they think did it, and just a little back and forth. But now Sydney's back at home and she's talking to Tatum on the phone. And since she doesn't want to be home alone for the weekend, she plans to stay at Tatum's house. And then Sydney turns on the news and it is now made clear. And we learn from Gail, who's given a report on the news that one year ago, Sydney's mother was raped and murdered in their town. All right. First, she's wearing that lovely lime green pantsuit, which is awesome. <laughs> yes. 
and my first thought of this scene making it out to Sydney's house was, oh, come on. Who's got that kind of money? Like these kids are just like, I'm just going to go home to my parents' house. And it's like a, a gigantic mansion on farmland or something like that. I, oh, I got to go home to this 8,000 square foot mini mansion. Ugh. The rolling hills behind my house. Ugh. It's so bad. I have all this land. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could, this is the same thing. Like looking back and watching uh, Home Alone was like that house was amazing. <laughs> this, In Chicago, no less. Yeah. And, and both Seriously. both of these homes were stupid. And then I, I finally looked around. I didn't see where this was, was filmed. And you guys mentioned it earlier, but I was like, this kind of looks like California. And yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> So Sydney falls asleep on the couch and is woken up by Tatum calling her, telling her she's on the way. Uh, so she hangs up with Tatum and the phone rings again. And on the phone, it's the same voice from earlier in the movie with Casey that had called Casey. I I love this because even when Tatum called, it was very tense, right? Like, because mm-hmm. we're already on edge about phone calls from the movie. And then we get that phone call and it's like, oh, my God, no, not again. And then it's Tatum. And it's like, oh, OK, like a sense of safety. But then he immediately brings you back and he's like, nah, fuck you. He's here. Yeah, I, I did know um, you can see his penis was the line that I put down because I wanted to see some movie with someone. Oh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Tom Cruise's dick. <laughs> one of my Dan's favorite actors, Tom Cruise. Oh my god! I I wasn't gonna say anything, but like, could you have picked any? I guess he was really big in the nineties. But big. like, I don't know. I I'm not gonna get, open this up. We could yeah. we could tackle this at a later <laughs> time. Uh, my my other thought was if I'm gonna think in nineties talk, so we we get the killer that calls up shortly after, and then I I don't I was like, why don't you just star sixty nine this dude? I don't think Star 69 was a thing back then. What? Yeah, it definitely was. Yeah, it was. 96? I remember Star 67 people, and you can definitely Star 69. Yeah, getting that restricted number. (laughs) Yeah, prank calling 7-Elevens? Come on. (laughs) Okay, so uh, this is when Ghostface says to on the phone the same thing she said to Casey. Do you like scary movies? What's your favorite scary movie? And since this is a meta movie, they the two of them do have meta back and forth about the cliches of horror movie. And uh, they ask her a question. It isn't who am I? It is where am I? And in the same vein as he did with Casey, he tells her he's on the front porch. So she goes outside and he isn't there. She toys with him a bit and then she hangs up on him and angry. He says, if you hang up on me again, you'll die just like your mother. So this is when it takes a since she doesn't know what happened with Casey, who Casey talked to. Like this is when it takes a turn. This guy's serious, and she has reason to be scared, and it's not somebody playing a joke on her. So she goes inside, and Ghostface pops out of the closet and attacks her with a knife, and he chases her upstairs. And uh, Ghostface can't get in the door. Billy appears at the window, and Ghostface disappears. A cell phone falls out of his pocket, and this they terrifies her because it was the 90s and nobody had a cell phone. She runs down the stairs away, opens the door, and sees the ghost face mask staring back at her. And it's Dewey. He's holding it, and he says he found it outside, and Billy's arrested. 
also with nasty trigger finger. The dude has like no trigger discipline. I mean, <laughs> if you've seen like the whole Scream series, like Dewey's the most like goofy, inept cop that I've ever seen. But he's somehow he's invincible. Dewey's mm-hmm. invincible. Dewey can't die. Dude, there's a ton to unpack from that scene, man. Um, most important of which is. Did she fucking IM 911? Yeah, that was something <laughs> you could do did. back then. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine yeah. if that was a thing you could do now? Like, it'd be like, yo, I'm getting murdered. Skull face or skull emoji, skull emoji, <laughs> knife emoji, cha cha girl, clap hands. Like, <laughs> uh, eggplant, eggplant, eggplant. Eggplant, eggplant, eggplant. <laughs> That's when you just get like a, a real depressing away message from. Uh, Nine one one. Talk now. <laughs> yeah, and but what you get first is the the initial reaction from aim um, from the instant message being opened up is is the song like when they come online, which is just let the bodies hit the floor. Uh, yeah. It's the ooh ooh. I miss the nineties. I don't know about <laughs> anybody else. I really miss the nineties. So uh, Sydney goes to the police station for an interview, and is here she sees Billy who's getting questioned about the murders. And they give each other like a quick stare down. Like he's looking at her. She's looking at him. Wait, but we see, we see another form of horror in Billy's dad's haircut. Bah, bah, bah. It was the got him. Oh my God. That hair was awful. Though. Yeah. It was the nineties. <laughs> That guy clearly had to deal with a lot, though. Like, he was looking at his son during that whole interview and just like, dude, I totally know you killed these people. The haircut was the least of his worries. They're not known for their great haircuts. They're better than the 80s, but anyway. So Gail, the tenacious reporter that she is, she goes to the police station to try to get an interview with Sydney. Uh, she tells Sydney she's writing a book on her mom's murder. And then she says to Sydney, I'll send you a copy. And Sydney rightfully punches Gail right in the face. Hell yeah. Wapow. And every time I watch this movie, I go back and forth about thinking, like, loving Gail and hating Gail. She's clearly, like, a dedicated reporter, but she has no kind of standards of what she's going to do to get a story. As like a, she is. As a highbrow... Well, I mean, I know that she does like tabloid journalism, but like a higher brow tabloid journalist. I, I would have thought that she would have changed her outfit. Like she was wearing the same thing from earlier that day. Oh, gasp. I'm so glad she didn't. Get <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some more like neon green soup. I mean, that's my favorite thing. So now back at Tatum's house, Ghostface calls Sydney on the phone. And she realizes that Billy probably didn't do it because if Billy did it, then how could she be getting a phone call at the same time? The next day on the news, the uh, it shows Cotton Weary, the man that has been convicted of killing Sydney's mother. He's trying to appeal his death sentence for murder. Gail, however, believes Cotton is innocent and was framed. And... Billy's phone records come back and he is clean and he is then released from jail. I I take issue with this with this part. Like this is all Gail blaming 
her mother for the actions like your mom seduced him you lied in identifying him it's like bitch she was fucking 16 years old and her mom had just died clearly she's going through something so even if she's incorrect in identifying who it was i think you can cut her a goddamn break and like i'm sorry did he just trip inside of her so it's all on the woman that she seduced him. Sorry, that 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 part triggered me a little bit. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is this shit? He, he didn't go to jail for having sex with her mother. He went to jail for the murder of her mother. And right. that's what that was. Exactly. Yes, but her words were, your mother seduced him. Correct. Yeah, she's, she's like massive victim blaming a dead victim who was definitely murdered and... Uh, yeah, just blaming it on her for being meh. Your mother's dead because she seduced somebody. And it's not just that this is a one-time occurrence, right? We see this like throughout the movie. This is going to come up again where we get more victim blaming. Uh, it's pretty much how everybody in the town feels that it was that it. It's not they don't dwell on the fact that her mother was killed. They dwell on the fact that Sydney's mother was sleeping with men outside her marriage promiscuous woman bad yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's- yeah they definitely justify the murder <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah every time it's like well her mother was a whore hmm so, <laughs> yeah. friend. even tatum was like well no. Your mom like, did sleep with a news. couple guys <laughs> it's like, come on guys kind of a whore right <laughs> So then back to the school, Sydney runs into Billy. And this is like, I mean, if you didn't like Billy before, you definitely don't like him now. He is, he's the worst. He compares that Billy's mom left his dad to Sydney's mom being killed and says, get over it. Yeah. And it's not, it wasn't just get over it. He had alluded at some point that I think earlier on that, she hasn't been the same since and then he kind of trailed off or whatever and he's obviously saying since her mom died she hasn't wanted to have sex with him your mom was brutally murdered just you know get over it it's it's been a year i mean come on now just a year yeah i couldn't imagine how the girl who's keeps getting told that her mom's a slut doesn't want to have sex with someone (laughs) gee Hmm. Can't, can't see why. I was confused too. I'm glad you. I'm glad you were confused too, Dan. I was like, <laughs> "What's with you, Bill?" What is it? That someone understands. So again, like, just Sydney's in the bathroom. And there's a bunch of catty girls because they don't see her. They're saying Sydney probably made up the whole story about Cotton being the killer, and that she might have been the one to actually kill her mother. And as after they leave, we see Boots step down from the toilet and Sydney is attacked in the bathroom. But she she escapes. It's just a very quick scene. So Gail is at the school and she's flirting with Dewey to try to get information out of him about the killings. And as that's going on, the announcement over the loudspeaker of the school states that classes have been canceled and there's a 9 p.m. curfew that's being enforced. Stu tells Sydney and Tatum he's having a party at his house that night, and Tatum convinces Sydney to go. Party time. I fucking love, I love Henry, Henry Winkler, man. Yeah. Can't say it enough. Enter Henry Winkler, the finds himself. 
and uh, he had just confiscated a ghost face mask from a couple of students who had been running down the hallways with a fake knife. And there's a knock at his door. And he, he investigates and sees a janitor. And the janitor says, what, what's up, boss? And he says, not you, Fred. <laughs> so I don't know if anybody else noticed this. But this was basically right, a shout-out to Freddy Krueger because the Jenna was wearing the whole black and red striped shirt and the hat and the long hair. Oh, okay. That's funny. And that was Wes Craven in the Freddy get-up. So it was and oh, Wes wow. Craven's most notable. Oh, that was. Movie. Yeah. yeah so, I, didn't, I didn't realize that was Wes Craven. Yeah, so that's basically a shout-out to the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So back in his office, Henry Winkler, the Fonz, is uh, still playing with the mask, and he scares himself in the mirror, and he is stabbed and killed by Ghostface, covered in bees, Rip Fonzie. (laughs) Rest in peace, Fonzie. (laughs) Not the bees. Not the bees. (laughs) I miss Fonzie already. This is when... I cried and cried because the Fonzie is gone from my life. Gone. So, hey. Hey. So Tatum and Sydney are talking outside her house, and she starts to question if Cotton really killed her mother. We cut to Stu and Billy at the video store where Randy works, and there's more meta dialogue about horror plots and how it really happened if movies were real life between Stu and Randy. At this point, you can tell that Randy's very clearly into horror movies, and he keeps stating that Billy is the killer. But he says if it was a horror movie, that Randy would be this prime suspect because he is like the horror fanatic. So, how sick were video stores, man? Yeah, I mean, I miss video stores so much. So do I. Randy is hilarious. I love Randy. We, we're all Randy. We are. All we are Randy. Randy is an unofficial member of Horrible Friends. That's that is a hashtag. We are all Randy. Even we if he doesn't want to be. If you miss video stories, make sure to check out Glenn's from last episode. He'd be really appreciate your business. <laughs> <laughs> kind of struggling right now, but hopefully we can uh, get that sorted out. So now we go to Stu's party, where Dewey drops off Sydney and Tatum, but we see the news van following them. Gail runs into Dewey outside the house, and the two go into the party together. And this is where Gail plants a camera at the party. Yeah, that's creepy. No, I mean, I think she's just trying to get a scoop or get a story because she's like a reporter. She wants to know what's going on. Yeah, this, so, is, this is the second time I noticed that the houses are uh, stupid. They're so good. Yeah. Um, and then I, I did uh, the music so far has been kind of wild. I, again, I, I can, I think, chalk it up to it was the 90s. <laughs> I like 90s music. Yeah. There's like some grunge, some not grunge. It was a lot of rock stuff, but some of it was like fun. Yeah. I don't know. It's cool. Okay, so at the party, Tatum goes to the garage for more beer. And behind her, the door to the garage closes and she's locked in the garage. 
and there's a button by the door that opens the garage door and she hits it and as she's going to the garage door to leave uh, it begins to close she turns around and sees Ghostface is in the garage with her and he's closed the door and she thinks it's a joke until he pulls out a knife and slices her arm Tatum runs to the garage door and tries to escape through the cat door in the garage door but she gets stuck halfway through and this is when Ghostface hits the switch and the door goes up and her head is crushed and she is killed. Uh, so earlier today, I messaged all you guys and I said I had a nipple question for you guys. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's become, we call it in my house now, Nipplegate. Uh, did, I'm, try, I'm trying to phrase the question. Did she enter the room with hard nipples on accident or was it intentional? Hmm. Totally intentional. Yep. Totally intentional. No question in my mind. Yeah. I I think they show her a few minutes earlier in a different scene, not hard nippled, and then she's hard nippled. This was her scene, man. This this is this is her send-off. And she wanted to be remembered. And Uh, that's the first thing I wrote down on this page. Where did those nips come from? Followed by please. Oh God, don't drop the beer even with the slash wound. So in, uh, my wife said that it was unintentional and I was like, there's literally no way that that was unintentional. Yeah. It's also uh, friends came out in 94 is what I just looked up. So this, this movie came out two years after. Yeah. I mean, Jennifer Anderson is like a, a, history of having extremely hard nips on that show i I don't know man are you implying that her purpose in having hard nipples in this movie was to combat jennifer aniston's popularity (laughs) (laughs) you do have the through line with courtney cox and from what i've heard about courtney cox one of the requirements she has on any movie she's in is her co-female lead must have hard nipples at all times (laughs) so Mm. i i chalk this up to courtney cox's demands so that's probably why that uh, Tatum had hard nipples in this scene. Hmm. Sure. So if if Tatum threw the the beer bottle at his head, don't you think that would have knocked him out? Like bottles are not light. It wouldn't have shattered like that. It was the 90s. Oh, OK. Sorry. <laughs> the 90s. But this death in general is the one that always sticks out to them most because it might have been my me being a fan of. Rose McGowan in general, but just the way she dies was very creative. At the garage door, mm-hmm. she wasn't stabbed to death. She wasn't like gutted. She was killed by a garage door. So, yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah, and I, and the, the the unnecessary flips from the the actual scream man, the actual murderer. Like he he like came at her and she like kind of touched him a little bit. And he did like a whole like two flips, and I was like, okay, this yeah. is. <laughs> Dude. Does everyone think about the uh, scary movie scene with this? I know we talked about earlier, but like where it's, oh, kitty, and then a dog runs through, oh, dog, and then a horse runs through, oh, horsey. (laughs) I mean, scary movie was like pretty much a direct like satire beat for beat of this movie. So if you like this movie, go watch scary movie. Oh, yeah. Having not watched the actual screen movie in years, 
I, like I had trouble writing down jokes because it's scary movie is just such a perfect scene for scene parody. It was so perfect. Everything I was writing down was completely derivative of a scary movie. Fair. Yeah. So it's now that Billy arrives at the party and him and Sydney go upstairs to talk. And they begin to make out on the bed as the party downstairs watches Halloween. Gail goes to the news van outside and the camera's live, but with a 30 second delay. And this is when Randy stops the movie to give the rules of surviving a harm. Rule number one is you can never have sex because sex equals death. Rule oh, number fuck. Two, you can never drink or do drugs because that is the sin factor. Oh, fuck. And you can also say, never say, I'll be right back. I think most of us have done at least two or three of these while recording this podcast. So are, are any of us alive yet? Are any of us alive still? Huh. Go with, no. I'm mean, unfortunately, Chris, the last thing he said was, I'll be right back. <laughs> still, we are still waiting for Chris's triumphant return. And to me, these this is one of the biggest like standout parts of the movie where Randy gives the rules of a horror movie because they just it's very meta like this whole movie is meta and just by saying this is how you survive a horror movie it's all meta 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 so Stu says he's going to get another beer and immediately jokingly says I'll be right back back at the news van Gail and the cameraman are watching the party and Dewey knocks on the van door and asks Gail to join him to check out a car in the bushes and she tells the cameraman, I'll be right back. Um, so, bye. As the party is winding down, some people leave the house. And Randy is watching the movie on the couch and says, here comes the obligatory tit shot. And this is where we cut to Sydney, who's upstairs taking her shirt off. Meta, meta, meta. Okay. So Randy answers a ringing phone and finds out the principal has been killed and the rest of the party clears out to go check out the Fonz's body who has been hung from a goalpost in the school field. I personally wouldn't want to go see Henry Winkler Fonzie's dead body because I would be too heartbroken. But that's just me. I don't know about anybody else. I'd look. <laughs> you would want to see dead Fonzie? I don't want to. I just can't not. Fair. I can't imagine like having that gut reaction to be like, oh, my principal's dead. Like at any point in my schooling, like, oh, my principal's dead and his body's cut open on a flagpole or whatever the fuck. Like, oh, let me go look at it. Like, I can't imagine having that reaction. I mean, to my defense. To my defense, the guys who ran out of there and drove away, highly intoxicated, by the way, advisable, um, they survived. Uh, you know, well, well, drinking and lesson yeah, prob- number one. Probably. Drinking and driving pays. You escape the <laughs> murder party if you drink and drive. Yep. So we now see Dewey and Gail walking down the road, and the teens are racing drunk down the road to go see the principal's body. And Dewey and Gail jump into the dirt side of the road to get out of the way, and they share a kiss, their first kiss of the movie. It is then they see the 
car that they were looking for, and it is Sydney's father's car. He must have never left. So he's been missing for the whole movie. That was kind of a subplot. We haven't really addressed the fact that the dad was missing, and they were kind of unsure if he had something to do with the murders. Mm-hmm. He was a suspect, but they couldn't track him down or locate him. Yeah, I, I, so I started now cut pushing to towards and him. Billy upstairs, and they just had sex. She asked Billy who he called when he was arrested, and he says his dad. She says that the sheriff told him that the sheriff called his dad. And it is with this, Billy's attacked by Ghostface in the room and stabbed multiple times. And Ghostface chases Sydney through the house. And Sydney escapes out the window, and this is where she sees Tatum's dead body hanging from the garage door. So this is definitely, I remember watching this as a kid, and that was, I mean, I think everyone was on the Billy at that point, but that, that was definitely surprising when Ghostface came in and, and killed Billy. Because obviously everyone watching this was probably under the impression that it was a single, it was a single killer. Yes, because like at this point, they're like, oh, there's no way that Billy's not the killer. So obvious it's him. And then just to see him get stabbed like that, it kind of like diverts what you're expecting. And you got to question, okay, well, then if it's not Billy, who is it? Yeah, which they they still wanted to push the idea that it was her dad, right? So, well, if not her dad, just anybody but fair. besides the most obvious suspect. But now we're back to Randy, who apparently doesn't hear any of this going on upstairs. He's still watching Halloween, and it's this is like a very funny scene too, because Randy's drunk and Ghostface is looming behind him with a knife. And Randy talking to the TV. He's still watching Halloween. He keeps saying, look behind you. He's right behind you. Turn around, look behind you. As at the same exact time, this is advice that Randy should be taking because Ghostface is right behind him about to stab him. He's about to get stabbed and Ghostface only stops because Sydney screams for help outside. She makes it to the news van and she's with the cameraman in the van. But because of the delay on camera, it still shows Randy with Ghostface in the house. The cameraman opens the van door to try and get some help. And Ghostface is right outside and slits his throat. Damn 30-second delay. Yeah. And that's why they make such a point of saying, oh, there's a 30-second delay in this camera feed. And he opens the door and there's that 30 seconds. Yeah, I like this piece of of this movie the 30 second delay out to the news van because it just they gave it plausible like okay well they could call the police if they ever see him oh but he's already gone you know they should have called the police but i guess not enough time who would have shown up though the cop that dropped his <laughs> underage sister off at the party Fair. and then made out with the reporter <laughs> dude had a busy night all right oh he i'm sure he did dude's a busy man but it is now that Dewey and Gail, they arrive back at the house and Gail sees all the blood by the news van and she tries to drive off in the van, but she swerves to avoid Sydney in the road. The cameraman's body falls from the roof of the van onto the windshield and Gail goes off the side of the road and crashes into a tree. Yeah, the only thing I could think of was a uh, brake. <laughs> like she, she could have hit the brake. <laughs> I guess. True. And I think she was just more trying to get out of there so fast. 
that she forgot that a car has two pedals. <laughs> the, the go and the stop one. Just press one of them harder. Uh, she did. It'll, it'll sort itself out. Yeah, it, it. I think it was uh Jeremy Clarkson he said something like, uh, "It's not, it's not the crashing that kills people. It's the sudden stop." Yeah, <laughs> I think Paul Walker said that too. Hmm. Yeah, that's a famous Paul Walker quote. Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Is that too soon? <laughs> I mean. I mean, it's too fast to make that joke, and I'm just furious about it. So I'm just going to keep going. Okay. <laughs> so Sydney arrives back at the house, and Dewey stumbles out. He's been stabbed, and Ghostface exits the house behind him. Sydney makes it to Dewey's patrol car, and she locks the door, but she has no keys. Ghostface is there. He taps on the glass, and he dangles the keys in front of her. He disappears under the car. This is, I like this scene because it gets even more like, I wouldn't call it funny, but kind of silly-ish. Because as she's on the radio with the police, the trunk opens and in the background and you see Ghostface lunge forward and grab her. Because to me, it was just funny because every time she tries to lock a door, he like scrambles to another door and unlocks it. And it happens a couple of times. It was just a little bit funny to me. Yeah, I agree. It definitely popular. doesn't take itself. Yeah, it doesn't take itself too seriously. Oh, no, it's such a fun movie. So Sydney runs towards the house and Stu and Randy appear and they accuse each other of being the killer. They're both not in great shape. And Sydney's able to get Dewey's gun and draws down on both of them. And she goes into the house and locks both of them out. Billy stumbles out of the upstairs room and he's bloody and he falls down the stairs. Uh, we had a very similar shot in the movie before in Halloween when she fell down the stairs. It's pretty much just a mirror image. I just thought I'd point that out because, like I said, it's a very meta movie. And he convinces her to give him the gun. He unlocks the door and Randy enters the house. He tells Billy Stu has gone crazy. And this is the reveal where Billy says, we all go a little mad sometimes. And he shoots Randy in the shoulder. Boom. I'm just going to point out that there's, this is another nod to uh, Psycho. Anthony Perkins, one of his iconic lines is, we all go a little mad sometimes. So it was just another like nod to horror movies. And Stu, he enters from the kitchen, and Sidney goes to him for help, but he pulls out the voice changer box, and it is the ghost face voice you've been hearing on the phone the whole time, and he says, surprise, Sidney. So it's now that we know that there's two killers. It's uh, both Stu and Billy. They corner her in the kitchen and tell her that they framed Cotton for the murder of her mother when they two were the actual ones to kill her. Bum, bum, bum. It was a, this is a good scene. I enjoyed everything after this. The movie just really picked. I mean, the movie picked up halfway through the, the party, I guess, but it really picks up at this point. So it's fun. Yeah, like once the party like starts and like the all the killings and the start, this is like the climax of the movie. So it's probably the favorite, my favorite part of the movie. She asks why they killed her mother, and they reference Norman Bates and Hannibal Lecter as both having no motive. Uh, but then Billy says that Sydney's mom was sleeping with his dad, and that's why she left. So this might have been motivation as to why Billy did what he did. 
That was the big reveal for me, man. Uh, I didn't remember that uh, from the first time I watched it years and years ago that he actually killed Sydney's mom. So, yeah, poor, poor Billy's dad. He tripped and just fell into her mom. Yeah, it's what happened? such a shame. I Poor feel guy. the true victim of this movie. It's Billy, Billy and Billy's, Billy's dad. dad. I mean, <laughs> men are the ultimate victim. How can people look, have been saying that for years? How can they? How can they be expected to have willpower? Yeah, I mean, with hair with like that, that haircut. Ooh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You know, I do have to, you know, that's a good point. Who the fuck would fuck him? Jesus Christ. <laughs> At least two people. Yeah. It they, was the 90s. It was they had the mentioned 90s. <laughs> they had mentioned earlier that he was drunk and like that's why they had sex, but I think she was the one that was drunk if she had sex with that haircut. Like, come on. Damn girl. Very true. Is this is this the part where she says "fuck you both"? Because I really enjoy this. Is or was that at the very end with the with the oh, final shot? I think it's here. Yeah, yeah, it's here. Where she's on the phone with the two guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, this was a cool scene. The the hecticness and like the the obvious like they 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 had a plan and then I felt like at this point they they really didn't. They had fallen apart at this point. So even though they ha- quote unquote had a plan, I, I thought it was pretty uh. That's pretty cool. Uh, that's a good good part of this this movie. So this is when Stu pulls Sydney's dad out of the other room. He is beaten and bloody. And this is when it's revealed that the plan was for Stu to plant the phone in the voice changer on Sydney's dad. And they're going to frame him for all the murders that have taken place, including Sydney's mother, and have it look like he had killed himself. And the two of them will be known as the heroes and the only survivors. Dude, how much fun is Matthew Lillard in this, like these final scenes? Oh, he says like, some of my favorite lines from him are about to come up right now. So this is when to complete their plan, they plan to stab each other to make it look real. And if they got injuries during the fight and they stab each other in the gut. And my favorite line from Matthew Lillard, this whole movie, is he starts bleeding and I guess more than he expected. I feel a little woozy here. That's like my favorite, favorite line in this movie. My favorite line is when he's like, my mom's going to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely bleeding out and like just he's getting actually getting very woozy. (laughs) So Stu goes to get the gun to shoot Sydney, but it's gone. Gail appears and she has the gun. And this is when the movie continues with its meta narrative, where Gail starts to narrate that what's going on. She says she likes the story of her finding the gun and foiling the plan and saving the day better than everybody getting killed by Stu and Billy. But she can't fire the gun because the safety's on, and Billy takes the gun from her and knocks her out. As he is about to shoot her, he stops because Sydney has disappeared while they were distracted. Yeah, he called her bluff immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I noticed. Just walked right up on her, didn't even like hesitate, take the gun from her and knock her out. This is when the cell phone rings and it's the ghost face voice and it's Sydney on the phone. So Stu is too hurt from the stab wounds to go after them. And frustrated, Billy throws the phone in another great Matthew Lillard line. So you hit me with the phone, dick. <laughs> 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 
So Billy's flipping out because Sydney told him she called the police and he hunts for her in the house. She pops out of the closet, but she's now got the ghost face outfit on and she stabs him with an umbrella and he drops the gun. Yeah. Who attacks her, but she fights him off and he drops it. She drops a TV on his head and he is killed, electrocuted. I so when I was younger, I was we had a big entertainment center and I was pulling out the there's a drawer in the bottom that was apparently over the weight that it should have. And we had this massive like 38 inch monster tube TV. And I will not lie to you, that thing fell. The whole thing fell forward and hit me in the head. And did you die? I surprisingly no. The only thing that held it on was a very well screwed in uh, cable box. Oh wow! So the, wow, the, yeah, the power ripped out, but the cable and the cable box in the wall was totally fine. So that TV probably would have murdered me because that TV murdered the shit out of him, and it, it wouldn't have like the not the electrical shock portion, but just the weight of that thing. I was young. I was like, I was like. 12 13 like that would have crushed my little boy body <laughs> yeah, that's when like big tvs were a huge commitment because they weighed 400 pounds a billion pounds yeah it was bad uh but uh, i blame my parents i definitely don't think it would have electrocuted him i think it just would have crushed his head in reality yes because the glass was also extraordinarily thick now if you got through the glass yes because i've also i've heard and i have not touched but that those uh the old tubes used to hold a lot of like extra electricity after they were unplugged so it's plausible i have heard that yeah he could have potentially gotten shocked but he would have never broken through that glass Either way, it was a good death. I don't know. It was that thing was heavy. I think it broke right through the glass. I like to picture it did. I like to picture his face getting smushed. <laughs> now Billy attacks Sydney again, and he's just about to stab her. He's shot by Gale in the shoulder. Randy, Gale, and Sydney stand over Billy's body, and Randy says. Careful, this is when the supposedly dead killer comes back to life for one last scare. And like right on cue, Billy starts to pop up and Sydney shoots him right in the forehead and says, not in my movie. So good. Loved it. Hilarious. And but wait, how is Gail there if she crashed the van? That She's fine. Oh, OK. <laughs> Yeah, she just comes back. She's like, yeah, I'm good. So this is like the end of the movie. And as the camera comes out of the house, we see Dewey, the immortal Dewey, who can never die throughout the entire series. He's getting put in an ambulance and him and, and Gail's reporting on everything that's happened in the house and what she's been through. So yeah. what do you guys do? You like this movie? Yeah, I actually had a really good time watching it. I, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it, <clears throat> like it revitalized horror movies in the 90s because at this point there was a lot of like directed dvd very low budget horror movies and this kind of revitalized the franchise as a whole i can see that it's such an iconic movie i mean i know we mentioned it in the beginning but it had three sequels it has um uh the tv show now that has three seasons to it and scary movie um one of my favorites, Scream, If You Know What I Did Last Friday Friday the 13th, yeah, is a parody. I, I love that movie because that was one of those. I had, I, I had thought that that movie came out like a couple years after Scary Movie. 
but apparently they both came out the same year, 1999. And it was yes. one of those like deep impact Armageddon type situations where two identical or very similar plot movies come out in the same year. Yeah, they were essentially competing scripts, but it just goes to show you like how iconic this movie was to the genre uh, back then and its huge impact. For sure. Yeah, it was. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, I I, I think, like you said, I, I had watched the scary movies a lot more and, and definitely a lot more recently uh, than Scream itself. And yeah, just watching it, it, they did such a good job on both like both sets. Like this was a good movie to, to then you know quote-unquote make fun of because they're like you said a, a bunch of times they were super meta the whole movie in scream so why not but yeah uh if we got nothing right now thank you for the plot mike uh i do want to ask you though you got a shout out or how about this you got a scream out <laughs> so we love our sponsors and our supporters and uh this week we do actually have another shout out which i want to thank them uh, this week's shout out goes to Ganja Greg's Cannabis Dispensary and Trampoline Park. Uh, do you like to get high? Well, nobody gets you higher than Ganja Greg's Cannabis Dispensary and Trampoline Park. They've got the bounciest trampolines and the dankest cush. Ganja Greg's is the only place to go where you can bounce higher than the clouds of smoke you'll be blowing. With strains like Maui Wowie, Purple Haze, and Sour Diesel, you'll feel like you're floating on air, and you will be. With 32 strains of Bud and the world-famous Trampoline Thunderdome, Ganja Greg's will meet all of your getting-high needs. Ganja Greg's Cannabis Dispensary and Trampoline Park, we love you. Thank you for that shout-out. So we did a lot of uh, talk about this movie as it went on. Uh, Cinematography-wise, I, I think you'll you'll put it out there. It... It it came back and it revitalized it, but it also I think it set the scene for a number of years for for the way shots were framed and stuff like that for movies, especially scary movies. Yeah, I mean, it did follow like the classic female and like single female like victim, but she winds up being the hero, that kind of through line. But the movie was very well shot. It was shot like a classic horror movie. Just the camera angles and like the shadowing. It was it was very good. Yeah, I agree. And they they kept the they kept the killer close and like again, I think a lot of these movies end up coming out to uh just proximity, right? It, it the the killer is trapping you inside the house. The killer is uh, keeping you claustrophobic and as the viewer you were also in turn stuck in the house with with the the victim as well so i think that is that tends to be that the biggest fear is just claustrophobia which is really interesting and it just it's so claustrophobic to be in those gigantic houses <laughs> but like she said the 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 victim always runs upstairs when she should be running outside but yet it happens right every single time <laughs> so it's like yeah i got you know eighty thousand square feet in this house but if i can't get outside to run away what's gonna happen you know so I mean, you gotta run through the kitchen and then the other kitchen and the sitting room and the living room and the four bedrooms and the four car and the garage. guest house kitchen and you make it out to the guest house and the guest house only has a two car garage i mean only two 
and there's no servants' quarters. You just got the kitchen, and it's a whole big travesty of these uh, poor, poor white suburban families who only have <laughs> thirty thousand square foot houses. Yeah, it's a, no, it's a real shame. Cramped. Yep, I feel cramped just talking about it. Yep, I, I feel I feel shame. Um, so, uh, let's go ahead and, um, let's move on to, I don't know, let's do special effects. Um, there, there were a ton of special effects. It was all mostly just the, the acting and, uh, I don't, I don't think they really mattered. I think the blood was kind of made fun of because that's, that was its thing, right? They made fun of the blood and then the blood was made fun of again. And, uh, well, the, the, the guts hanging out were pretty good. I'd give that. Yeah. From far away. Just the scene in the beginning with uh, Drew Barrymore hanging from the tree. Yeah. I mean, it was done well, and it was probably, it's a very shocking moment in the movie, like we said, where they killed off a big-name actress in the opening scene. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, and then sound design and music. Like I said earlier, music was really all over the place. I wasn't sure how I felt about that, but sound design with the everything else, I think that was really good. I mean, just with all the music, it felt like the 90s because yep. they were all 90s songs that were popular at the time and just fit the tone of a movie with a bunch of teenagers that this is probably the music they would be listening to. Yeah, agreed. It was angsty. It was rebellious. It was it was the 90s. It was grungy. And uh, yeah, I think I think that takes us over to the... Uh, spoopy scale Mr. Dan you got a spoopy scale for us absolutely uh, so this week as Mike has pointed out and given us a lot of examples for uh, we are going to use the references so in this movie there are 26 reference uh, movies that are referenced so uh, guys Zero to twenty-six. What's your spoopiness and what is your overall? Hmm. Oh, jeez. Twenty-six. Yeah. Twenty-six. <laughs> twenty-six movies. Okay. So spoopy. I mean, trying to put myself back in the nineties. Well, in in nineteen ninety-six, I was five years old, so I'm sure it was pretty damn spooky to me back then. Not that I watched it until I was about ten, but um, I I would say that that opening scene really really set the tone for the movie just uh not not being able to gauge who was who was what and who was vulnerable and you know uh the the movie did a great job of building suspense keeping suspense and keeping you guessing um so it was spooky uh i'm i'm gonna go with a solid <laughs> ah let's let's go 16 uh 10 away from a perfect score not that 26 is a pretty typical <laughs> range um <laughs> but an overall score i'm gonna give it probably a 20 any uh, we'll go 21 because just what it did for horror culture and pop culture if i mean every single person here has been to a halloween party as a kid and how many how many ghost faces were there i mean i was as you heard monster mash yeah yeah at any given time at any party at any like halloween parade there's always a ghost face um so it's one of those iconic like figures that you could wear that costume now and immediately people would know exactly where it was from exactly 
so so iconic um the parodies of it everything i mean no one i don't know a lot of people who aren't familiar with this film so i'm going to give it a solid uh 22 nice yeah uh spoopy i i can't say that i was spoopified much so it's it's got it's gonna be pretty low yeah i think if if you go back into the time period i agree with you i I would probably i think i'd probably be a little scared especially from the the spooky face if i was like five or eight or ten or whatever so i'm not gonna do that though i'd say from me watching it recently again i'd give it a one two not it wasn't scary it's it's a fun movie um so with that i think my overall i'm i'm going i'm going up as well i'm gonna give it a i'd like i'd like 20 20 is a good one 20 parodied movies for this movie uh for me it's hard for me to give an accurate spoopy meter because I can't go back to the time I've seen this for the first time. I've seen this movie so many times where I knew exactly what was coming, when it was coming. But I guess if I had this overall, like, and it's not the 90s anymore. Boopy meter, probably 17, 18, because I could imagine if you put yourself back at that time, seeing this for the first time, especially at the point where you were pretty convinced it was Billy that was the killer and then billy gets what's what you think is killed it just throws your expectation out of loop spoopy and overall i'm in agreement with the two of you guys too probably 22 23 out of our sliding scale of 26 because this is one of my favorite 90s slasher movies as we've all said it did bring back the genre that was kind of fledgling so yeah, twenty-two out of twenty-six overall. Yeah, I think I gotta agree with Mike on the spoopy meter for sure. Like seventeen, sixteen. It's so hard for me to go back to like this was my first time watching it all the way through, but like I knew what happened in the movie. So it's so hard for me to put myself in the space of like I didn't know that there were two killers. I didn't know who the killers were. Um so it's it's very hard to put myself back in that but the movie is very tense there's a lot of great movie moments in it it's an amazing slasher there's issues like i said of of course but it's a product of the times um what are you going to do go back and hate everything that was created before like a little bit more of a woke culture no you're not so you got to appreciate what the movie is and what it brings and the impact that it's had on um, on other movies, on future slashers, on just Halloween, on creating copycat killers in real life, uh, creating spinoffs. So it's it's an amazing movie. I got to give it like a 24 out of 26. It's very high on the list of horror movies. It's just a classic and it's right. So, yeah, love it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and I think if if Chris were here with us, I I would say he think he uh, think he liked this movie. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think I think with that we're gonna just round it out. Uh, I want to give uh, you guys uh, a thank you for for sticking with us and, and listen to our our episode. If you want to say hi to us or, or leave a suggestion for a new movie or anything like that, uh, find us over at twitter uh on at horrible friend 
on Instagram at horrible friends uh, and email at horrible friends at gmail.com. This is all in our uh, podcast description and episode description. You can also, I also want to appreciate Connor McLeod for our artwork and uh, Andrew Cavanaugh for our intro and outro music. Uh, with that, I would love to ask for Chris to, uh, I think he left us a little message. So uh, that'll, that's, that's right about here. Fuck you guys. Have a horrible time. Great. Did you get that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Did you oh, guys get Jackie laughing in the background, too? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I hear oh, now we did. There it is. <laughs> yeah, now they did. Yeah, good.